Today, we're going to talk about a company that both Patrick and I have a huge crush on. Welcome to Tradeoffs, where product habits Heaton Shaw and Profit Wells Patrick Campbell discuss tech through a product first mindset to inspire you to think differently. This week, they talk about multi product. Early on in a life cycle, while bootstrapped, don't do it. Like, just don't do it. Being ClickUp fanboys. It's a document tool. It's a task management tool. It has boards. It has like everything. And product prioritization. You can tend to be more opinionated, or I would say take more risks when you have a high logo TAM. Welcome back to another episode of Trade-Offs. Got Patrick here as well as Heaton. Heaton, how you doing, man? Doing great. Uh, Building software. That's that's my answer these days because... We have a lot to build, just like every other software company on the planet, and we have lots of ambition. What I've started saying is building company. There you go. That's good, too. I like that better. I'm not worried as much about the product because the software side is not my prioritization right now. Yeah, it's been kind of funny because I had to get back into a trench that I haven't been in in a while, and we made like a lot of progress in a short amount of time, which you know makes me excited, but it's also kind of like... We're not spiking the football yet, but it's like, okay, cool. Now we know like what predictability could look like with X, Y, Z. And yeah, it's exciting. I'm being kind of intentionally cagey, but one of my yeah. favorite P words is predictability. So yeah, that's great. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm super happy to hear that for you. We're going to talk a, probably a little bit about this, but in a tangential way today, like multi-product early on in a life cycle while bootstrapped, don't do it. Like just don't do it. Like, I don't think you should do it. And maybe you're going to tell me you should do it. But I just think that for us, like the amount of surface areas that we had to fight while also getting revenue to fight those surface areas was a lot. And this is why I think most people, they wait until, I mean, it was a hundred million to go multi-product. Now I think it's around like 20 million to go multi-product. And so it's just, it's just been interesting. Um, and that's, that's my like little KG subtweety rant uh, for the moment. I've done multi-product before. I agree with you. The organization you design for multi-product is different than the organization you design for single product. And that's actually the, I think, fundamental issue. And the transition from one to the other needs to happen if you need to scale. Then there's also multi-brand or not and things like that. Mm -hmm. And the general consensus seems to be single brand, not multi-brand until you're acquiring. And there are enough public company scenarios that we've seen like that and enough where I, I don't know about your 20 million number in revenue to switch versus 100. I, I'm unsure about that. I think it's much more market centric as to your timing and how much you tap out on the core product. I also think multi-product is a imaginary hack to add revenue to a business. And it doesn't usually work when you try to do it too early because your mm-hmm. revenue and your core business is not stable enough to fund another product in whatever ways you need yeah. to. So there's fundamental That's where the 20 million was less a scientific, like I should be careful because we obviously publish a lot of data. That was less of a data point and more of a uh, qualitative, like anecdotal point because of the thing you just said. Because what we ran into just in hindsight for anyone who wants to do multi-product earlier is the organization design as well as the prioritization. It is very different, but you'd rather do that, or in my opinion, in hindsight, you'd rather make that change once you've like nailed product one and then extrapolate that pain into product two, three, et cetera. And and the reason I could speak very personally about us is because what ends up happening is, is that especially if you're bootstrapped and this is a little bit of an asterisk on this is like we chose for our multi-product, our second product was a free product that we didn't know was going to be free at the time, but was the right move for the company. And so we constantly had to like have this like weird reactionary spin cycle of grabbing we needed revenue to support the product team and basically like hide them from all the reactionary BS so that they could like build that product out and then build out the other paid products. And I think if we were to do it all over again, we would have raised a little bit of money. Well, if we knew that the free product was the answer, we would have raised a little bit of money. And even now, if we would have realized that that was the answer, in hindsight, if we were doing it all over again, we even would raise a little bit of money just to make sure that we could get that free product into a good place um, and then you know iterate and scale from there. It's all about organizational design. So you can create an organization from the early days that can handle this. Just like with a lot of other things, it depends on the people and their approach to engineering 
and product. And that actually dictates yeah. a lot of whether you can handle a second product or not. I have a lot of experience with this uh, in multiple facets, whether it's funded, self-funded, or even acquiring things and in, in successfully and un- unsuccessfully and, and then even selling them again and stuff like that. The design of the organization is the only thing I would have done differently, more so than even the timing. Some people might call me crazy, but the way we're building FYI is we didn't feel comfortable to scale engineering until we did. And so we're right now about 10 engineers. We're going to go up to 25 as soon as possible. I'm confident we can hit 250 engineers when we need to with the current thinking. I'm not going to say like current ways of working because the ways of working change tremendously at every kind of, you know, 2x, 10x, whatever. But I'm confident based on how we've set up the org in engineering. So change management, pods, whatever, whatever the concept is that people describe is is for us set up in a way where we are highly confident we can scale to a very large number of engineers now. And again, people might call me crazy because we're only mm. at 10, but I do know the implications of what 200 and 300 and 150 and all that looks like. So does the head of engineering and kind of everyone on the team. Mm. And we've got it. Even things like people being promoted from within and how and them either asking for it or seeing an org chart and filling a slot because they feel comfortable and their colleagues being excited about that and wanting that. Those kind of things are what I'm talking about. It's not, it's org design, but then org management, organizational behavior, yeah. stuff like that, that you don't appreciate if you haven't seen what more does to a company. I don't just mean more as like, yeah. you know, more sales, more product, more whatever, more engineers, more people. But in this case, in this context, more workload that is not necessarily tied to core workload that your company has continued to do and a lot of that goes all the way down to quarterly planning and road mapping and when you start your planning for the next quarter and who your head of engineering is that can handle that or not who the engineering managers are that can think through that stuff it's a very deliberate act to do that early and if you do it later you end up with a corporate development business development strategy towards it, but you don't have the product and engineering organization set up to support it. And this is something we started early on because it Mm. isn't just about more products. It's actually about more product these days, which is very different than Mm. more products. But I think it's one and the same. And this does relate to the main topic we're going to talk about today, which is ClickUp, because the implications you have about what you say in the market and what you're going to build dictates a lot of the requirements on how your team has to be set up to deliver the value that you're promising customers. And that's, again, what I think mm. all of this goes back to, even when you think about multi-product and stuff like that. That's why I think in some ways Twilio is kind of impressive because they waited for a very long time before they started acquiring. And when they started acquiring, they acquired with a very cornerstone, complementary strategy. So Twilio bought SendGrid. Then Twilio bought Segment. And the narrative and the story is mm. so tight and so clean about how Twilio and SendGrid and now Segment all fit together to provide one set of tools for marketing-related communications that is a developer-focused mm. infrastructure implementation dev tool style across the board, all three of those. It's pretty impressive. And they waited a very long time before they started acquiring because I think they had a dominant position in the market that enabled them to spend a lot of money on those acquisitions. And it feels like those companies are run, I don't know the in the weeds, but are run pretty independently with the sort of connections happening on a very complementary level with APIs. And as a result of that, it's much yeah. easier in that business in theory, all theory, because I don't know the details, to make it work because they're buying API, other API businesses. I think you pointed, I think there were six or seven things there. All of those things, I don't think you know or learn unless you've done it somewhat before or you've been at a place that's done it before a little bit. Like that's what's kind of interesting about this. Like I can read high output management twice a year for the past five years and still, like a lot of this I'm learning, like, you know, on the fly, right? And, and going to first principles and those types of things. But I think, I think what I like, and, and maybe to get into our main conversation, is like, I think the brilliant thing there is the story is tight, the North Star is tight. Because a couple of conversations I've had the last couple of weeks have been people get to a certain level and the North Star isn't tight enough. And then there's these existential crises that happen on so many different levels, especially if they're funded. 
the board is like, I don't know, what should we do? Right. Like, and it doesn't seem like there's this North star or this direction or these types of things. And then the team is kind of like, Oh, I don't know. Like, should I go somewhere else? Like, especially the ambitious, you know, a player types, um, you know, the high performing players. And so I think the tightness of the story is something that is not appreciated in probably our, like our collective, our concept of what is a tight story is probably not tight enough. Yeah, and the two companies that I think have the tightest story, and there's only one reason they do, in my opinion, is uh, Atlassian and Twilio. Those are like some of the tightest stories. Mm. And I think the one reason they have it is because not because they both service the same customer, but because they know the customer. And a lot of the things that they do, majority of the things that they acquire and try to go after are things related to that core customer first. And then they blow it out from there. Mm. So, for example, I don't think the Trello acquisition would have been as successful if some relatively high percentage of usage wasn't from developers. And it doesn't mm. mean that developers are the only ones using it, but like you could see what would happen there where like PMs are managing these boards with developers on their stand-up calls, right, and things like that. That had to happen. There has to be complementary set of customers. And you can see this even with HubSpot now where they're trying really hard to figure out how to get sales to fit into marketing because historically they've just been marketers mm. and marketing. So the other issue is when you switch personas. And I think Zendesk has done one of the better jobs of this, except for one area, which is product. Like if you look at their CRM compared to HubSpot or compared to Salesforce, it's atrocious. And it's because they haven't made the good hop, in my opinion, from one persona to another. Same with Freshworks. So I don't know, when you get into this stuff, you start seeing these patterns. So I think to your point, it's either you're thinking about it and you're able to see the patterns and either talk to the right people or get the right information, or you've seen it happen in front of your eyes, whether it's because you're running the company or you're involved in it or at the company, and then you learn a bunch of things. It doesn't mean the things you learn you imitate. It's usually the things you learn you realize where the pitfalls are, and then you go design something to avoid what's them. The, what's interesting, though, is like, what, in your opinion, is Atlassian's story? Because I always find it very generic. Generic might not be the right word, but it doesn't hit me in a way where I'm like, oh, cool, I get so, what they're doing. It hits me in yep. a way of like, that sounds cool, but I don't know what it is. You know, I've written about all these companies, right? Like at some point or another, or a lot of these. Yeah. And Atlassian is one I wrote about in research. And I think the piece I'm always impressed by at Atlassian that other folks layer on much later is they were a corp dev, business development, M&A driven company from the very early days. So they started with their mm -hmm. one product. Then they acquired the next one. And then they realized they had a good way to do that back then. So this is like, I think, did they start in 99 or something? They started a long time ago. Long time and ago. at that time, like there were not that many companies to buy. And so you could actually buy some pretty cheap, especially in SaaS. And they weren't even SaaS at the time, right? So they found a wedge with developers because project management was being done by developers on engineering. And so they built that out. Then they bought the next thing. I believe they bought something. I forget which one comes first because I wrote about it a long time ago. But one of them came first, Confluence or Jira. think it was Jira, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, again, this feels like I should have the answer, but I don't want to look it up right now. And then they bought the other one yeah. because it was like the complement for the other tool. So Jira, then Confluence, I believe what happened. Or there might have been a few in the middle. But they were all focused on developers. And so if you look at the mm. core for Atlassian, everything starts with the developer and then it's just offshoots from there. So if Trello is used by PMs because PMs like Trello better than they like Jira, but developers are getting dragged into Trello, then it just makes sense to own Trello. And since Trello's freemium and all that good stuff, you get that bonus, right? And we all know how hard it was for HubSpot to grok freemium. It took many years for them to grok it and bring it in and make it a thing for them in DNA wise. They started by exactly. rejecting it. They started by trying it and then they rejected it. That was, you know, I don't want yeah, to and, and, the gossip, Yeah, and then, but, and then yeah. they were able to figure it out and now it's a core strategy for them, right? And it's a core piece of the puzzle. Mm. While Atlassian, I think on the other hand, just bought that and said, we'll just buy that. Because like, I don't actually think at the core that company fully grasped freemium like other folks do. And so now here they are. So their strategy to me started with that customer and like, to me, like going back to basics, the one commonality in the companies that have been extremely successful is when they start with a single persona and the things they build are still for that persona for as long as possible. Because it's much harder to go mm. flip the persona and go to the next one. And, and my prime example is HubSpot. Like 
when will salespeople love HubSpot? I don't know, right? And is it required? I think so. Another one is when will support people love HubSpot? I don't know. It's a longer question is, is it required? I don't know. But if you just play this out, like I wonder where they ran out of room with marketers. And I suspect it's because they don't want to go to enterprise yet. And they're staying at their cap of 2000 employees for their customer base. Right. When you think about all this stuff, it's like, yeah, the persona matters. And the fact that the persona is the same as you build new products makes it easier. doesn't mean you have to do that. You acquire the traction, right? And then then you're relatively good if you acquire the right traction. And in Atlassian's case, they acquired Trello, which is completely not just a developer tool, obviously. Well, Jira is. Yeah, Jira and some of the other things. Engineers tend to bring Confluence on for a number of reasons that are very uh, engineering driven. I think what's really interesting about this part of the thesis is that I feel like with Twilio, there are a lot of external breadcrumbs that show us this concept, like very clearly on their earnings calls, very clearly like in the messaging that they put out, like there is this one guiding light. I think HubSpot has that a little bit as well. Agreed. And I, I totally buy the Zendesk point about Zendesk. Like, I just don't think they know, right? And they can't like switch because they were so ingrained with one type of persona and that there is they, nowhere they to go like, with that persona. That's the interesting thing about nowhere. support and success. Yeah. Not that it's a bad market, just there's nowhere to go with that persona to do more that is close enough. There are things like I can think of and things Zendesk should have done just knowing the market that they're not doing even today. But And it doesn't really matter how many like blog posts you write about that tell you that customer support is a profit center, these types of things. It still looked like as a cost yeah. center, right? And I think that at least in mass, right? And I think that the thing that like drives me a little nuts with this is that they are beautiful design. Like their new products are really good. They bought really like fresh products, you know, for some of these other pieces. But HubSpot, on the other hand, was able to make this leap. And I think that's that's the interesting kind of thing for anyone who's trying to go into multi-product is thinking through what is the connection between the leap? It either needs to be bridged by the story, the tight story, or it needs to be bridged by the persona. Or it needs to be bridged by like changing the nature of one or two of those yep. things. Probably not the persona because then it just gets murky, but like the story at least. So yeah, it's interesting. But you want to get to our, our meat? Want to get to ClickUp? Yeah, we promised to episode Let's all about it. ClickUp because I would say it's 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 yeah. a really good company to talk about because of how they're doing things totally. so differently. Just for folks who don't know, ClickUp, I don't even know how to describe it because it's an all-in-one tool for aligning your organization and getting more done. I'm on their website right now. But it basically has every app that you could think of for running a business, human resources, business operations, sales, all kinds of things. And I know, Heaton, you have a lot of thoughts on this. But the one thing that to kind of transition, the story for them is very much around like save one day a week. I'm on their website right now. Save one day a week, every week, guarantee. We analyze the time saved by over 4,000 teams after switching to ClickUp to manage their projects. That's 52 days back every year. Enter your email address, CTA is get more time. And then they have the classic, no, I want to waste one day per week, um, which is a little interesting, but that's the topic the, for another mar- day. They're marketers um, over there. That's why. That's just the bottom line. Oh, they're right? really that, that, good marketers. That's why they and still Even have their that. pricing is really good, which I think we should talk yes. about. But why don't you jump in, like give us give us the TLDR and like why ClickUp is so fast. I used to think they were all in one. I'm going to call them everything in one from now on because there, are other, okay. companies, the there are other companies that are all in ones. I think everything in one is basically a kitchen sink approach, while an all-in-one is like a lot more prescriptive of like, these are the things, they're all-in-one for you. Oh, everything in one is kitchen just sink. like, if you ask for it, yeah, we'll and, build and, it. And when okay. you look at their roadmap, you look at their product, and you look at what they're promising you, they have no choice but to build a everything in one in their space. And so a HubSpot mm. is an all-in-one, because it doesn't have everything, but it has enough of the things. But the promise they're mm. making is that they're going to save you a day a week. Okay, how are they going to do that? They're going to give you an everything in one. In a way, it's like Amazon being the everything store. Nobody's done that in software. People have done all in one. Freshworks is all in one. HubSpot's all in one. Zendesk is all in one. But they're like an all in one across all departments and all this other stuff. When I view and look at and think about what ClickUp did, they took the ultimate value prop in the productivity space, because it's called productivity for a reason. They aren't necessarily an HR tool or any of that, but what they are is they're a productivity tool. 
And so if you think mm-hmm. about what's the ultimate value proposition in the productivity tool space, it's save me time. Because productivity tools don't make you money. They save you time. As a result mm-hmm. of that, and all software saves you time if you really want to extrapolate it further out. So sure. I think that the reason I'm fascinated by the company is they were willing to market the ultimate value prop and then set up an organization that can deliver on it. And the funny thing about these kind of ultimate value props, they're so hand wavy, not in a bad way, just hand wavy. Like you're going to save me a day a week. I don't believe that you're waving your hands around. You're you're just making it up. You're trying to, you're lying to me, something like that. But then when you marry that with what I call the everything in one, which is basically their commitment to building everything you need. They have made a commitment with their customers that they're going to build everything the customer needs. It's a document tool. It's a task management tool. It has boards. It has like everything, like everything you would basically need to be productive as an organization they have. And so that's why they can say, we can save you a day a week because you don't have to switch between tools. And I've done a lot of research on that one. So if we look at the framework here, just so we make sure I understand, their whole thing is productivity. It's not all in one because they're not kind of selectively picking. Like, I feel like if you look at Freshworks or Teamwork.com, they kind of like, let's do that, let's do that. And they're kind of like reskinning, replacing the traditional tools, like providing a CRM, providing these types of And you know why they did it. Click up. There, those companies did it because of cross sales, right? Like, yep, like we want to exactly. get more departments like using our product. One department's already using it. We can cross 100%. sell and and increase our ARPU. Yep. Like, it's a very elementary business move. Not that those companies are elementary by any means, but it's elementary business move. I don't think ClickUp. I think this is you, checker. They're playing checkers. I think ClickUp's playing chess. In Freshworks et al.'s defense. It was chess. I, I completely ago. agree, but then ClickUp comes around yeah. and makes it che- makes it checkers no, no, again, I know. right? I'm like, just saying. No, I completely agree with like, that. I completely yeah. agree that they you were have an enormous. I tan. completely agree they were great moves, and at the time they looked like chess. But then you look at ClickUp in comparison, and these these products don't compete. So it's not exactly yeah, like a one to one. It's not a good but comparison. The strategy is more of a modern version of chess. Well, they're the old version of chess, if you want to put it like that. That's fine. I completely agree because it basically, if you go from first principles, it takes the core product objection. So one, it leans hard into the value prop that all of these folks are promising. Every like niche productivity tool of any kind promises, but leans hard into the objection of doing what they're doing, right? So there's like this end happening where it's like, well, the only way we can truly say that we're going to save you a day a week is if we connect and do everything. We can't make that claim like everyone else has if we basically are just a note-taking app or we're just an Airtable or we're just a you know, or, database. Or, or just doing what Notion does because now they do pretty much everything sure. Notion does. I put everything in quotes, but they're doing so much of it sure. like you can't tell. So there's even an, a concept of like a lot of FUD in the market just by the value prop. Whether it's deliberate or not, it's brilliant yeah. because now it's like, wait, does ClickUp do what Notion does? Everything Notion does? Interesting. Because like, Notion's supposed to save me time too. They don't really say that, but it's a productivity tool. I'm buying it to save me time. I mean, does it do yeah. what Asana does? Does it do what Monday does? Because, you know, those things I buy or I'm using right now, they save me time. So you, you kind of yeah. I- introduce you this think, new messaging yeah. that causes the customer to wonder. How do you get over the marketing effect of like one way they're doing is they're leaning hard into it. Just every, I, like on their website, every ad I see, I was at Atlanta's airport and I saw ClickUp ads everywhere. Um, all kinds. Of, and it was always like save a day a week, save a day a week. Never another week. value problem. Like basically just never change it. That's how they lean into it. I don't know. I might not even look at it if I didn't know about them if I saw that because I was just like, oh, it's just like classic marketing BS. It's a good point. The fact that we're even talking about it proves how effective it is at what the goal should be right now, which is simply education. Hey, this can happen. And they're just telling everyone, hey, this is possible. It is possible to save Mm -hmm. a day a week. I buy that. And we're telling you it's possible and we're going to keep telling you until you actually try it. And it's just education. It's basic classic early category creation stuff, but I don't think they need to create a category to be successful. I don't know if they will or if they won't, but they don't Mm. need to because there's already a category and they now have thrown down the ultimate value prop. And I don't Mm. know if anyone else can catch up to this value prop because everyone knows them for that or everyone will in some amount of time with their ads. 
if nothing else. And and if they're saying it's backed mm-hmm. up by 4,000 companies that have used them and they did the research, well, dude, they did their own like Forrester TEI, total economic impact, yeah. right? They did their own version of that, but for this market before an independent party could, could do it. And I'm sure the strategies they used on those surveys were very similar to the TEI strategies that Forrester uses. I think that there's got to be, and I have not used ClickUp enough, but you might have because you've gone deep on this. There's got to be something in the onboarding that helps reinforce the hell out of this because it's value prop. Like they show it to me enough. They give me some more proof. And then I'm like, fine, I'll log in and look at it. There's got to be a hook. And and what's your take on like the hook? Because I know you've gone. I haven't been through the onboarding in, in a little bit in a few months, but when I went through it, the one brilliant part I saw was their explanation of their product structure. And so my Mm. opinion is what they're trying to do is indoctrinate you into the way they think about hierarchy. I think they might even call it hierarchy if I'm not mistaken, but they call it something like that. It wasn't compelling enough for me, for me to remember it. So there is something to be said there, but that's just me. I've never been motivated to use the product aggressively, but I've been motivated enough to like learn as much of it as I can without watching videos, just by clicking around and stuff. And no pun intended. I've never seen a company do this like in software which is they basically tell you the intention behind the structure they've created for you in the product. Yeah, and I think they might call it a hierarchy or something, but you don't get that until you get into the product. So they don't try to tell you about any of that. Mm -hmm. And so it started out on the internet as a marketer. I think it's brilliant marketing because in marketing, you tell them what they need to know to get them to the next step. And then you tell them what do they need to know there to get them to the next step. And you don't try to mix the signals there. Because if you're really good at marketing, you're like, you tell the audience what they need to know based on their the customer journey and their mindset when they're buying. So in the beginning, you're like, you're getting bought into ClickUp like before you know much about them that, oh, they're going to save me time. So then when you're in a spot in your daily life, in your world where you're like, oh, this is taking so much time, it's taking so much time, you go there and you check it out. Then once you sign up, they try to indoctrinate you into their way of saving you time. And if they keep repeating that even in there, like, hey, you do it this way, you'll save time. You do it this way, you'll save time. You do it this way, you'll save time. This is our way. This is how we're going to save you time. You got them. As long as they're doing the things and they're actually saving time when the software tells you to do the things a certain way. And when it comes to productivity tools, Asana, Monday, et cetera, it's all about the structure. It's all about the structure. Like, what is the structure in the tool? How do I use it? And how does that save me time? This is why when you look at Monday, Mm. Asana, ClickUp, even Notion, and even Airtable to some extent, you see these tables with red, green, yellow, and people's faces on all of them. Why? Because when you go talk to an organization, managers, CEOs, they tell you, I wish I had red, green, yellow on all the things we're working. Literally, I've heard this word for word Mm. from like 50% of CEOs I interviewed a while ago about productivity. They're like, I just wish I had that. And then like six months later, I started seeing that in so many of these products as they moved up market and the market got more mature. So when I think about all that stuff, I'm like, oh, if ClickUp really figured it out, they're selling you a system. And a lot of like old school marketing, direct response, things like that around productivity or tools that are going to save you time or things are going to save you time. They go back to selling you the system and encouraging you to use the system and basically telling you if you use our system, we will deliver what we said we would to you. If you don't, we won't. I think what's, and they go so hard into this. Again, they have the value prop extreme and then they have the product extreme because I know what they do a lot of times is if I logged into your ClickUp, it would look insane compared to mine. Like it would just look so different. Like they've gone kind of extreme in terms of how they customize the actual app more so than I think that a lot of people have. And I just remembered as you were talking about like going into explaining the hierarchy and stuff. I know that ClickUp uses basically like bribery in a good way. I know like, I don't know if you remember the whole like watch this video and we'll send you $10. Like they had that. And I'm pretty sure they do that inside the app too. I've seen some tweets about that. So all the apps are doing that. They're all giving away credits. We can thank Slack for it. So if you go to if you go to Airtable, did Slack do yeah, that? They did that early on. They don't do that anymore. They did it early on. What did they uh, do? Fill, it was I actually fill out a survey I, during first... onboarding and get a hundred bucks credit. Oh, I think it was a hundred. It was That's pretty cool. high. And Airtable, every time you invite someone, you get ten bucks credit. 
And Notion has a similar thing too. And they don't even tell you, they, they just give it to you. And then the first moment you see it, you're like, oh, I'm going to invite more people, of course. It's become super this. common, but it's not like as, a, as cool. like explicit as ClickUp makes it right in onboarding and stuff like that. But that is what Slack did with their preview release yeah. back in the day. That's interesting. How do you feel about that? I mean, it's gimmicky, but it works probably in some cases. I would look at that and be like, well, why do you want me to invite my team? This feels weird. Like, could you do that with like installing a JavaScript snippet? Of course or you can. I know you of have course some you can. With yeah, that. absolutely. The and ultimate incentive is dollars. So if you're giving away dollars and then credits, and then it, it works really well, actually. I'm sure this is something you're going to want to research at some point, but basically like your way. It's basically the idea of getting someone to accumulate something. So getting someone to accumulate the credits. And then when they want to redeem them, they have to put in their credit card and get on a plan. So you don't actually, yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. actually able to redeem them until you put in the damn credit card. Well, That's the baller that. flow. Because then you're basically increasing the credit card entry rate, which is one of the hardest yeah. things to do, as you know. So they're, they're hacking that. And so I'm surprised more companies hmm. don't incorporate this because companies like Notion and Airtable and ClickUp have done it for a long time and keep doing it and don't remove well, I, it. I do remember the new relic install the snippet get the t-shirt yeah right that's what a lot of people were doing back in the yeah, day yeah this is like the evolution of that to a very logical extreme that just makes sense because mm. i care more about totally. the money than i care about the shirt or whatever but here's the difference depending on who you're trying to go after that shirt might be more impactful than the money because you have the, the developer yeah. or the employee that doesn't necessarily care about the cost they care about themselves what are they going to get? Because yeah. the business is going to incur the cost. So certain personas, that strategy is still considered effective. The thing with ClickUp, I think that like, I don't know if this strategy works unless you have the customization. Let's assume like a company doesn't have necessarily the need for, for the hierarchy stuff that ClickUp does. And it's a little bit more straightforward, I guess. I still don't think this strategy works unless you have some customization of the actual product experience to some, some level of an extreme. Because... No, no, sorry. The only caveat I was going to say is like by nature of the tools in that market, they're all customizable and configurable. So you're talking about the market. Would you consider Notion customizable? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the biggest reasons people still use it is because the ability to make it your own with that navigation on the left, just like an old school Confluence style wiki, is one of the main reasons people go to use it compared to like Here's, Google Docs, for example. Let me amend my definition of customization. Yeah, yeah. My customization is less about I have a table of contents and I have the ability to organize my information and the hierarchy that I would like. And it's more about like the actual customization of like the app experience. So in the extreme, you know, and it's not necessarily like this perfectly, but let's say you log into app A and you see like the nav is over here, this is over there, this all the other thing. And then I log in and it's completely different. I think that's what ClickUp has more of than like a Notion. I think Notion is customizable from exactly what you're saying. Like I can create it and make it look this way and they give you a bunch of tools for designs and templates. I think ClickUp is more towards like, it's almost like a completely different product depending on who logs I think in. you could you could say similar things about Monday and Asana. I still will push true. back and say it's just a category thing and I wouldn't fully bundle okay. Notion in this category, but the only reason I do is because to ClickUp's credit, they have those features too. So you can't yeah, help but fair. compare it in some ways. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if in the future people are comparing ClickUp to many different products that are not just in the direct productivity category because Monday and Asana are smack in the productivity category, right? Notion, you could yeah. argue, is more of a document app. But if ClickUp has Notion-like features and lets you create documents and has blocks and stuff like that, which I believe they have a lot of those things, at some point you're just like, they just made Notion yeah. a feature, which is very challenging to do on the product side, but very smart to do from a marketing and go-to-market standpoint. Because they have so many different ways they can market this thing over the long haul if they have enough of these features. And the other thing that comes back to is this is what Google did with their office products. Just go after the 20% that most people use. And then when you go after the 20% most people use, the other people, they're not going to even consider your product. And the TAM is wide enough that they can just keep attacking. Because like Google, that was the brilliance. Like the ability not to have to share a file through an email. Like we don't appreciate how brilliant that was at the time. No, we don't. Uh, we don't appreciate like collaborating on a file at the same time. No, like we, we don't. don't appreciate we those don't. types they, of things. They invented like now, that basically. It's just, like, commonplace. Yeah. They popularized it's crazy, it at least. right? Yeah, no, um, and it was crazy. And it was not too long ago. Yeah. Well, and one of our customers who's just say going after that world 
on the pricing side, that was that was the big thing in the research that that came out, and this is like public, so it's fine. But like basically the idea that it's hard to combat them without coming up with that next thing. And it's hard to come up with the next thing because the classic like first principles of product, things like speed, things like collaboration, things like reducing friction, those have all kind of been taken. And I think that the point I'm trying to make here to tie it back to us is like ClickUp going everything, as you said, let's use your jargon. That is like the next thing. The next thing is like, I don't want to have yep. to log into multiple places. And software is quote unquote easier to build now. And especially if you raise $100 million Series B, which I think is what they did. Plus, I think a pretty healthy A 35A, round. I think, or um, 36 or something like that. Yeah, you have enough money to spend ads on airports and also build everything. Yeah, you also have enough money to build a product team that can build everything. And I think underneath all that is ClickUp probably figuring out the value prop early. It's sounding crazy, just like all founders are crazy, right? Or should be, apparently, according yeah. to people. And this company this company figured that out, and that's why they were even able to do a significant A, because I think they went through the tough parts of building out a team and an organization that could ship everything over time, which is virtually mm. like impossible. It's a very difficult problem in terms of being able to manage not just engineers, but the product team that has to support everything and build everything. And, and not to mention the other, other parts of the org, but the, the, bigger, the bigger issue is just can you build everything and maintain everything so that it's satisfactory for customers? There's still the nine-month problem, meaning like nine women can't make a baby in one month, right? Like I guess what I'm trying to get at is like there's still an element of time here, and I guess they're the ones working on it, and no one else is really working in this direction, so I guess maybe it doesn't matter as much. But like the thing that gets me is not all of these features or functionalities were existing in the beginning, then like growing into it. Like, so do you worry about those early customers who come in and it doesn't really fulfill the value prop for them necessarily, or it doesn't really fulfill like what they're looking for? Or is it just like they'll come back not, or not, they're moving fast enough? It doesn't not matter. Not in this market. In this market, I don't think it matters because the customer's already fickle until they're not. Yeah, because they're already willing they're to They're already fickle until they're not. And what does the not mean? They're fickle once they've standardized a ton of their processes inside of this, in workflows inside of this tool. Until then, they're fickle. Yeah. And so in the case of a product like a document product, and you and I did the research on this, it's until they've used it for a year. Because then enough of the stuff's in there where the switching cost ends up feeling too high. Now, companies have lowered that switching cost by creating those importers, right? But at the end of the day, the amount that you have in the product, in the tool, and how long you've been using it in great part dictates how long you're going to stay. But the reason is, is because of the actual investment of, information that you put in there and to your point like the configurability of the product itself because if you've made it yours mm. then switching is just going to be more costly now here's the thing where ClickUp has a big advantage the more stuff they have that you use the less likely you're going to fill find an alternative product that's going to do all those things and i'm sure there's a core set of things that if people do them in ClickUp, no other product can give them that combination of features in one does this work in a low logo TAM environment? I don't think so. Because to your point about like, if you turn a customer, are you done with that customer forever? In a low TAM environment, the argument would be, yeah, you're done. So it'd have to be a low TAM environment where there is still similar competitive yeah. dynamics. We talk about this a lot with our first principles of our, our core values, I should say, of our marketing is like, we have limited at-bats because of the number of subscription companies that are out there. So like, crappy sales, crappy marketing, like spray and pray type stuff. Like we have to be really careful about because like they have a bad experience and we're not the right fit right now. Like they're not going to come to us when they are a good fit or they're not going to consider us when they finally think of the problems that we're solving. So it's, it's been I mean, think about things like Rome or things like Notion or even Asana in the early days or even Monday when it was called The Pulse, right? These things were definitely not the quality of products that they are today. And yet they survived yeah. and in fact are now thriving for all intents and purposes, all those businesses. But again, yeah, TAM. you have certain categories where the TAM's really high, but you also have just tooling anyone can use. You can use these products for your wedding. You can use these products for your work yeah. and you can use these products for your hobbies, anything in between. And that I think is the differentiator and why it's much harder in lower TAM markets. I don't think it's impossible. I think it's doable, Do you think but it's harder. 
I think low logo TAM becomes multi-product more so than everything. Or yeah, typically. One. Yeah, that's totally um, a reasonable strategy and seems like what a lot of people end up doing. I think the other thing that's kind of interesting is like when you look at these types of companies, oftentimes what ends up happening is because you have limited at-bats, you can tend to be more opinionated or I would say take more risks when you have a high logo TAM just by the nature of like surface area. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, these days I might suggest you focus on opportunities that have high enough TAM if you can build an organization that can support what's required to be built and supported for those markets. Like, yeah. and I, I don't know, you know more about your TAM on the subscription side, but is it really low? Would you really consider I mean, it low? 150,000 companies low? is okay. low, fair I would enough. say. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, it's growing, but the the revenue is growing exponentially. This is why we target products where we get a cut and we earn our, our keep because then Grow we your can, revenue you know, in, a, like, in a predictable way. Yeah. Yeah. We get a pretty healthy percentage of what we yep. bring people, which is, which is Makes worthwhile. Sense. So- um, and we don't have to build a finance product to do it. So it's congrats. Great. Yeah, finance products, man. Interesting. I also, I wanted to talk a little bit about ClickUp's pricing for a yeah, second. Because what I think they do really, really well, and I'm just going to pull it up here just so I'm referencing it properly. So they do, they do this one thing really, really well that's a little counterintuitive. They also have this like nice little quirk that people have pointed out to me before. So ClickUp, what they do, they have a free plan, which is great. But they have basically a free plan, which is a pretty healthy free plan, but they essentially limit the amount of storage. Um, so this is similar to some of the things that Notion has done, but Notion, I think, has limited basically the number of people that come into an account as well. Um, and so this is pretty different for you know a company like this to do this. Like You can basically have as many people log in as you want, but then they have a couple of triggers with certain features, but also like the amount of storage. And that storage limit, it's not unreasonable, but like you upload one video, like healthy video, let alone maybe a couple images and you're already over it. And so you're already like feeling the product, which I think is super smart. They also genericize their pricing to do $5 per member per month, which is interesting. So like, again, member, not user, which is interesting. Their microcopy is really good. Like their microcopy on their CTAs and everything, not just on their pricing, but then everything's unlimited. And it's basically just on, you know, the number of people, which is not necessarily great. Like if you go to Asana's, like they have much more complicated pricing, but I think it works when you're doing an everything, you can have like a genericized type of value metric. Think of like Netflix, right? Like this is more of a consumer type product than anything, even though it's obviously not a consumer product. Um, a consumer product, you can't really limit that much in terms of a value metric and you need to keep it genericized, which is what, you know, Netflix has done where they have three plans and there's some differences between the number of, you know, screens you can look at, but that's about it. So I think they do this really well and it jives with their value prop as well as it jives with exactly what their mission is. The one other thing that I thought was interesting this is a little quirk or, or first, anything that's interesting there? Yeah, absolutely. The thing that sparked for me when you were saying that and describing it is the fact that they let unlimited users in. And they have a value metric that's actually more similar to Slack because I know it's storage and it's more well understood than, you know, 10,000 messages back or find all your messages or whatever, but it's just simple. And the funny thing, here's a small funny thing. I think a lot of these things you might disagree and you're going to, I'll defer to you, but that are really good on a value metric side are ones that, and even Slack's is not as good as this, which is like, if I wanted to. I could just upload it to Google Drive and link to it. But th this is where the yeah. brilliance come in, comes in of, I think, ClickUp, which is, well, wait, if you do that, you're not going to save yourself one day a week. And we're here to save you one day a week. Why don't you just pay us? And we'll take care of it yeah. for you. And like, it kind of is that congruence there of like, or incongruence there of, if I do that, it goes against what I'm using this tool for. So why don't I just pay for this tool? So it's all in one. You know, it's that everything model. I just wanted to add that, that like, there's a little bit of like just perfect friction, but I could do it. But if I do it, I'm going against the value prop that I'm signed up for. I think the other thing that's really interesting is that they're definitely playing the long game with their pricing. Guarantee you they could be driving more revenue per user. They could be driving more, you know, just revenue in general, expansion revenue especially. They're playing the long game. And that might evolve over time, but I'm not sure if it exactly evolves over time because the one thing that they do, I think makes a lot of sense for where they're at. They have a or let's make a deal option on their site where you can basically click it and it asks you how much are you willing to pay per month per member and you can flex up or down. 
and then how many people are on your team. And then um, you fill out your name, phone number, and email, and we'll see how that actually works out. But I think it's really smart. And the other thing that they do is they they give you that flexibility, but not in like a open kind of like open field. Like basically it's a toggle. And this is where it's interesting because a lot of people that have tried this before, they just like, you tell me. And that's like the worst way that people think about pricing. They think about pricing in a very relative sense. I've been talking about that for almost a decade now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's super, super interesting to think through. Yeah, that's an interesting little trick. I think this company has just been good at all that. Just like you're saying, they're good at microcopy and all that. They're really thinking about what does the customer need to read? What do they need to see? What do they need to hear to take that next step? And th- again, to my point yeah. of like how they do that, even with not telling you about the system until you need to know about their little system is pretty brilliant too because a lot of companies want to tell you everything and don't realize that you're not ready for it. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Anything else on ClickUp? Besides us just being fanboys? No, I'm just a fan of what they're doing and how they're doing it from a just strategy standpoint. It feels like a very dominant strategy in the market and it's rare to see those from like relatively early days. Where If I were competing with them, I wrong? would definitely be very worried about like But them. where where does this go wrong? Like if we were competing with them or no one's competing them, but it's an execution mistake, where do you think it goes wrong? They're not able to deliver. They can't build fast enough, which is everyone's problem already. So... I think it's it's already a standard problem we have in SaaS where we, we tend to, once we get really good at understanding customers and have a bunch, of course, there's prioritization considerations, but the bigger issue is we can't build fast enough. And so they are perpetually in that situation, just like everybody else, and even more so because of their commitment to the customer of building everything. I assume that if they found this, they would pivot it really quickly. But I think if everything or all in one starts to really cloud and basically just clutter like the experience sometimes. And I think if they can't figure that out and their user cares about that, because there's a lot of users who don't care, interestingly enough, I think that could hurt them as well. Have you seen the sorry state of software that we're in right now from a user experience standpoint? Oh, I'm not. No, no, I'm just, I, I just, I'm just like, I'm not, I'm just throwing this is, that. This is not a relative no, 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 exercise. No, 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 I know, but I'm just throwing yeah. that down because it's like, dude, like we suck. We're not doing a I, good job from a B2B side of building usable, valuable software, clutter or not. I totally. think that's one of the biggest challenges everybody has. And in their case, it's amplified 100%. Like, it's messy. I mean, they they have their power-ups or whatever they call them. I mean, they have all kinds of stuff that they've got. And the problem isn't just the user experience. The problem is even the cost of educating the customer on how to use it. And the more yeah. you have, I think for me, the more, cost it, yeah. more it costs, theoretically. So I'm, I'm long click up. It's more from a, because of that extra surface area that you just talked about, it adds more surface area to screw this up. Yep. Now, because they already have that, they have to get good at it. So theoretically, that's like a nice little virtuous cycle where they don't like actually mess something up here. Like it's hard. I think like if you look at Trello, they took an approach of we can be what you need for everyone. Rather, and ClickUp's more taking the approach of like, you can configure this and do what you need to do in like a much more deeper way that'll allow you to kind of like buy into it. But I think Trello, what they found is that they just ended up genericizing things so much like that all of a sudden it just was, you know, unless you were really going to get in deep into it, you weren't able to, to do something. And that's what one way of designing it. I think ClickUp is choosing the, no, it's going to be complicated, but only for us. And we're going to make it so it's easy for you. But it's hard. That's a hard problem. This is why we chose, like for our paid products, at least, anti-active usage or passive, which is a little bit better way to state it. Because we're just like, we're just going to take that part of this off the plate. And we're going to choose products, hopefully, mostly that that fit that that paradigm. The, the difference between Trello and ClickUp is everything versus everyone. So yeah, if Trello 100%. takes that everyone a approach, much more succinct way to put what I yeah, just said. Yeah, if they take an everyone approach, uh, it's going to lead to what they dealt with. But ClickUp's taken everything approach, and I think that's a very different yeah. way you market that and and kind of do it. And ClickUp is more likely to succeed than not with the strategy and the way that they're doing it versus where Trello started in pre-acquisition where they got to. If you look at it now. I think they're taking a much more everything approach and a much less everyone approach. When you look at just the the, the update yeah. they did recently and stuff, so there there is something that the, somebody has learned to build uh, something slightly better, if not a lot better. Yeah, I, and and I wasn't meaning to think that you're not bullish on ClickUp right now. Uh, it was more so like, hey, like there's just challenge we all have, and and they have it, you know, probably amplified. You know, one one thing I'll I'll say before I'm done at least is the cultural internal cultural implication of what they're doing and how they're framing their business to the customer is brilliant. 
whether they're conscious of this or not, I have no idea, but like, and I, I don't know enough about the company personally, but if you say that to the customer that you're everything and you tell the customer that you're going to save them a day a week, you can rally your company around that. You can make yeah. everyone rah, 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 rah and cheerlead that for the customer all day in everything you do. And like, it looks like they're doing that from the things I see on Instagram and places like that, where they're really rah, 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 rallying this value prop. And you could totally see a company internally using ClickUp and rallying around it and even building things faster as a result of their own usage and need, plus mm. how that marries to customers. So I think there's, there's, it's mission yeah, metric. sometimes there's that continuity. And when that continuity exists, I think it's, it's awesome. I think HubSpot has got that continuity from what I can tell now with the whole idea of this is all about growing. You know, we build tools for growth. Well, right? but here's the thing HubSpot can't do mission metric because they don't have revenue data unless you hook up ProfitWell and connect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the, but I think, but the, that's the, important the, because the, I think the tangibility in- of their metrics are unclear today. But growth, yes. growth is still more leads, more sales. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. I just think that when you're talking about mission metric, I think the one company that has done this brilliantly is Shopify, because it's literally like, do we make our stores money? Are they growing yeah. it over well, month over well, month? Well, Square Square literally has the same the one. Lines. I would even argue that that Square, Square the really. One. More so than even Shopify totally. is mission metric driven. I mean, from the early days, there's a TechCrunch post about their monitors and the metrics in front of everyone and how specific they've got around that stuff. So I'm in agreement there for sure. I think there's there's a lot yeah. to be said. I think Stripe, it's like second degree. It's like the GDP of the internet. So it sounds great, but measuring it is kind of yep. hard. Like how do they like actually qualify that? And then I think ClickUp is probably similar to Stripe even because they can probably like make some assumptions and quantify like what they're doing for the day. I got to give props to Automatic and Matt Mullenweg too because percentage of the internet powered by WordPress is pretty strong. That, pretty pretty yeah, strong. Pretty it's wild. wild that is right? Wild. And like the number is wild too. <laughs> so, that's so yes. wild. Yeah, that's like, there's very few products. Yes. Litmus had like 60% of the market, nice. but that smaller market yes. than the internet. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it yeah, is pretty wild. That's yeah. cool. All right, man. Uh, ready to recap? Yeah, let's recap. What did we talk about today? We talked about multi-product, when to start multi-product and making sure that you have the operational uh, fastidiousness to push multi-product forward. We talked about ClickUp. We're just fanboys for for ClickUp, mainly because they are taking the value prop of one day a week and they're leaning hard into the value prop, but then they're attacking the objection of you can't truly have everything in one by basically just handling the objection to fulfill that value proposition. And then we sprinkled in a couple of other fun concepts around, I would just say just product prioritization and, and sometimes not choosing the trade-off, but figuring out how do you not have to make the trade-off, which I think ClickUp is is a fantastic example of. Couldn't agree more. I have nothing else to add. Awesome. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, everyone, hit us up, share it on social, all that kind of fun stuff. And we will be here next Peace week. Out. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five-star review on this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. Also, make sure to subscribe to and tell your friends about Tradeoffs, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. 